Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to History Rage, the podcast where we invite history nerds to get furious. The podcast where our historians get to be anything but neutral and take up whatever fight they wish, no matter what the government or the overlords say. I am your regular host, Paul Bavel, and I'm here, as ever, with my good friend and rebellious combatant, Kyle Glover. Hello! And this week, we're staying in World War II, which is always a popular subject for us, and we're examining an often overlooked country. And to take us on this voyage, we have Serving Soldier, Secretary of the Royal Engineers Historical Society, Battlefield Tour Guide, and Specialist Historian in Spain and the British Army, Sean Scullion. Sean, welcome to History Rage. Hi, yeah, uh, a real pleasure to be here, and, uh, you know, let's go for it. Ooh. Okay, feeling angry? Might as well. Yeah, kick off. Now, this is an area of history that I've wanted to get into for quite some time, as I'm, I'm a big fan of overlooked allies, which is why I can put up with Kyle banging on about Crete all the time. All the time. Yes, all the time. Yeah. But before we dive into this, can you tell us a bit about your background and how you got into this area of the war? Yeah, so... Um... I was brought up in Spain uh, as a child. Uh, I lived in Spain in the 70s into the early 80s. I was um, uh, brought up during the uh, Franco regime. Really? Early uh, In my earlier life, yes. Yeah. So I, I lived there until he died, uh, and I was there for the beginning of the transition to democracy, albeit as a child. I mean, I was born in the 60s, but um, mm-hmm. I that I, I, it, it plays large in my life. It's played large in my life ever since then, obviously. So I was very much um, a part of it, but not in it in some ways, because I was like a foreigner. Um, my brother and I yeah. were the only two non-Spanish children in our school. Uh, we were both brought up in a, in a Catholic convent school in Spain. And, you know, um, religion was writ large all over the Franco regime, uh, as well as everything else. Mm-hmm. So so, so we, we saw Spain change quite considerably over that period as children. And it basically marked me for the rest of my life. And, and really what happened was 
I, uh, apart from joining the British Army, I also did, um, I did a degree in Spanish at university. Some people would say I cheated, yeah. obviously, being pretty much bilingual. <laughs> to be fair, I could fail a degree in English. My university tutor, in fact, said to me, Sean, your Spanish is amazing, but you kind of fall in that gap between the two languages. Your essay writing could do with some uh, improvement. Um, but, uh, but yeah, um, and I think it's quite ironic now that I'm writing quite large tones on <laughs> quite high level stuff in my job. Um, uh, I work in NATO and it's quite an interesting job I do. So, and correcting other people's English. Anyway, that's another story. But, but actually the reality is, is that, um, the history of Spain, contemporary Spain, uh, the Spanish civil war, uh, uh Spanish identity, Everything to do with the Spanish-speaking world, really, has, has, has basically marked my life uh, ever since I was two years old. So being a soldier, I'm, uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a Royal Engineer officer, but that, 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 that has nothing to do with the fact that I'm into all of this. Uh, that's yeah. more for, for, for family reasons. I had a grandfather who was a serving sapper as well in, in World War One and World War Two. But what ended up happening was, was that I... Got heavily involved in military history, hence why you said I'm in the Royal Engineers Historical Society. I'm the secretary. I've also been heavily involved in Peninsula War uh, work in the past. Yeah. Battlefield tour guide, heavily involved in commemorative events for the Peninsula War 200. Uh, I was secretary of that committee. I'm also involved in the Friends of the Lions of Torres Vedras, which is Portuguese. And yeah. Very, very, very um, important kind of organisation. And... I started really to get heavily involved in uh, in stuff to do the Spanish Civil War about 10 years ago. And about six yeah. years ago, uh, uh, my best friend from Spain, who I've known for years, he, he, he came across this book called uh, Los Españoles de Turtils, uh, Churchill Spaniards, which was written by a man called Daniel Arasa. And then Daniel Arasa basically wrote what's probably the first book in Spain that was um, about uh, uh, Spaniards who served in the armed forces in the Allies, uh, yeah. particularly in the British Army. So so I read that and I just went, oh, I, want, I want to be able to do something about this. So that started off a, a huge a huge study. And, you know, I've, I've spent the last six years with a lot of help from families, a lot of help from academics, a lot of help from um, other people who've helped me with my research to, to, to put together this huge amount of information to try and get this book to, to make sense. And the idea I have is mm -hmm. to finish this book in the, in the next year. Sadly, events in U Ukraine have not helped um, me have the spare time yeah. I would like. So, so um, I'm, I'm writing as best as, as best as I can. And I've been very lucky. I've been able to get the word out there. I've been on podcasts that we have ways of making you talk festival this year. Very kindly invited me to give a talk there. And really, I just want to get the book done so that the story is formally out there, properly out there. And that will hopefully lead to other things um, linked in with the chapters I've written. Probably yeah. pretty much each chapter in that book will become a, will become a book in itself. So that's, that's really the background. Okay, well, that gives us an insight into into you and your work and and your area of interest, and of course, gives us quite an insight into where we're going with uh, with this rage. So let's kick off the rage. Then you've listened to a few episodes, you know what the magic question of history rage is. So, Sean, would you please tell our baying mob out there what you wish 
people would just stop believing or just get over? Well, for me, it has to be the fact that people don't understand the role of Spain during the Second World War and the fact that it was not, even though the country was neutral, there were people from Spain who fought in the Spanish Civil War and had, a, 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 in many ways, a leading role in things to do uh, on both sides, in fact. Mm. Really, for me, it's understanding the the story of Spaniards who fought for the Allied cause and who also were, were, were as I call it, continuing the fight in their yeah. against fascism. So, so yeah, Spain, Spain may have been neutral, but Spain and the Spanish people are two very different things. And exactly. Quite a lot of the Spanish people were anything but neutral. Exactly. And, and, and a lot of this is about Spaniards who were forced into exile. You know, we're talking about, we're talking about half a million Spaniards who had to flee Spain at the end of the Spanish Civil War and were forced into exile. And out of those half a million, 220 or so thousand uh, were men of a fighting age. Mm-hmm. They were people who ended up continuing the fight uh, in their eyes against fascism as a, a, a as an exiled people, let's say, Republican. Yeah. People. And these these men, and, and, and I really would like to find out if there were women involved in this. I haven't been able to find any women yet. I really would like to. Um, it would be really fascinating. But these men uh, were, were all men who uh, really wanted to continue this fight, had been forced to leave their own country, knew that they would never be able to go back as long as Franco was in power after he'd won the Spanish Civil War. And in a nutshell, they just carried on fighting. Some of these men were in in uniform for 10 or 11 years. And I think if you mention there, there's like 220,000 of these. That's more people than we invaded Sicily with. Yeah, across the entire alliance, isn't it? It's more people than we landed in Normandy on the it, it is. Uh, on the first I mean, day. The, the sad thing is, is that it uh, the these two hundred twenty thousand um, uh, or so uh, were were not actually let's say led. They weren't organised because as mm-hmm. the Spanish Civil War finished, the Republican army or what or what was left of it that was able to cross the border into France was totally disarmed. And they were all interned. So uh, um, these men of a fighting age were kept in, in labour camps, and actually that yeah. had a huge that had a huge impact on those individuals. And what they wanted to do, uh, they wanted to continue this fight, but they were forced not to be able to do that. And also, when they were given the opportunity to, they did. And, and this is this is this is this great story, this amazing story of principled young men. Who who had a who had a, a wish to continue fighting and fought some of them extremely bravely, you know. And I, I've been able to track down stories of men who were in the SAS who were able to fight so bravely they were awarded the military medal. Um, men who, when they were in the French armed forces, and a lot of them ended up in the French armed forces to start with, uh, you know, fought bravely as well. And and there are lots of stories of these men fighting um, fighting against tyranny, let's call it, um, yeah. and and make and making a big difference. I think the, the, the biggest thing, of course, is that at the end of the Second World War, 
when Franco and the Franco regime was left intact, a lot of these men were felt very, very let down by by the West, by the, by the Allies, and therefore that's that's a huge that's a huge issue. But but it's such an unknown story. People don't realise that Spain um, was a was a broken nation at the end of the Spanish Civil War. But actually, in reality, there were still people who wanted to try and make a big difference to the way their country want, uh, uh, should be, yeah. but were forced out of their own country to be able to do that. That's a huge, that's a huge thing. So it's, it's fair to say, and I'm getting from your comments there, that the, the Spanish Civil War looms very large in framing the Spanish people as a whole in in World War Two. Yes, very much so. Yeah. Now, for for the people out there that, that aren't as much into Second World War as some of us are uh, and its background. Could you give us kind of a beginner's guide to the Spanish Civil War? Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the, there, is, there is a story, and I've said this a few times, that the Spanish Civil War story has been told so many times that there are probably more books written on it than there are days since the Spanish Civil War was over. And uh, mm-hmm. therefore, there, there is a lot of information out there. I think, first of all, before I talk a little bit about what happened in the Spanish Civil War and why, and why it happened, it's also to say that we are getting to a point now where the Spanish Civil War, the, the war itself, is very much is still in people's minds. And people still people still to, still keep talking about it and still keep studying it and still keep yeah. analysing it. But actually, the reality is, is that we've now gone to a stage, which I think is great because lots of things have opened up, where people are actually now starting to look at what happened after the Spanish Civil War to Spain and to the people who were not in Spain, who were Spanish, and trying to understand how all of that worked. How, 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 did, they, how, did, they, how did they carry on? You know, and, and obviously, you're talking about a subdued nation under Franco, but you're, also, you're talking about an exiled nation. Uh, uh, exile people. So anyway, to, to get to that point, obviously the Spanish Civil War is something where it's two halves of Spain, really. Brother against mm-hmm. brother, father against son, um, you know, neighbour against neighbour. And you you get a, a period of decline in Spain, 1800s. Um, uh, Spain loses, uh, Spain loses a, a series of wars in the late 1800s. 1898 is a huge thing. The Philippines, they they lose the Philippines. They lose they lose uh, uh, lose Cuba, uh, and, and and Spain is in a very bad way. In that way, it's losing its empire. It's only got bits left here and there in Africa, etc. And um, the army and the church play uh, are written large across Spanish society. The army always seems to feel that it has to be there to save the nation and to take power. There are a series of liberal governments that, that fail, really. Uh, it's very much, you know, one government is very similar to the next. And every now and again, the army always steps in. And in, this, in the First World War, Spain is, uh, is neutral, uh, but it, it does have its own industrial revolution. And actually, uh, before that, a lot of extremism in politics has already started, the, the left-leaning mm-hmm. elements of, of politics are starting to, be, to, to take a grip of, of the, the working classes in Spain. You're, we're talking about, you know, 90-odd percent of the country owned by 5% of the, of the population. So the majority of people in Spain are working class, extremely poor, kept in very mm-hmm. difficult uh, circumstances. You get this industrialization, you get 
the anarchist movement becoming very strong, the left-wing um, movements becoming very strong. Spain then comes under a under a, a, a dictatorship, José Antonio Primo de Rivera, in the 1920s. He fails. He's a, a bit of a Mussolini in many ways, but he fails. The Republican government yeah. in, uh, in, comes to power in the early 30s. The Spanish monarchy goes into exile. And then you get this series of governments that are swinging from left to right uh, up until uh, the summer of 1936. And uh, the 17th, 18th of July, 1936, the Spanish Civil War kicks off because the army has decided that it's going to step in again because it always has. And uh, yeah. you get a small band of, of determined um, uh, army uh, officers who decide that they are going to take charge. It's a very, it's a, it's, it's a pretty, pretty well planned out thing, but, but it fails. And, and it, uh, rather than being a coup, it then becomes a, a civil war once it, the, there's a realisation that the major cities of Barcelona and Madrid are never going to be taken. The capital's never taken during the Spanish Civil War. And, and what happens is, is then you get a, a splitting in of, of, uh, of, you get this professional, very, a small professional army backed by the church, industrialists uh, and, and landowners, um, uh, also backed by large elements of the, of, of this, of, of the rest of the professional army. And obviously the political elements and some regional elements. And Franco is very good at bringing those elements together, centralized command. He's very good at making them work in a certain way. He's very dictatorial in that way, straight away. And he's an opportunist, opportunist as well. He he takes over power by several different means. You know, um, it's quite an interesting kind of rise to power with Franco. He's he's uh, he, he never did very well in the in the academy, but he 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 is a hero of North Africa, Spanish. Spanish Foreign Legion, and he uses that, that that army of Africa. There's a difference between the Africanistas and the and the kind of mainland Spain army. A lot of the mainland Spain army, quite a lot of it, sides with the Republic, but there's not enough of them to make a big difference. And the Republican army becomes an army of the people, and it takes a while for that army to become an army. It, it does become yeah. an army, and and you get a, then a series of battles into into 1937 uh, into 1938. Where each side fights each other, big, big, big attacks, big, um, big assaults, mostly thought up from 1937 onwards. In, in, in into 1938, you've got the Battle of Brunete, you've got you've got the Ebro campaign, and and eventually, obviously, the Republican side loses. And the biggest thing, of course, that people talk about the Spanish Civil War is this foreign intervention. You've got um, you know, you've got the first ta- uh, strategic airlift in history, for example, in the Spanish Civil War, the Germans mm-hmm. aiding Franco's troops to get across the Straits of Gibraltar and, and, and taking these key locations, Sevilla, and then being able to move on to the capital, but failing to take the capital. You've got you've got the use of the, the Condor Legion. Um, and, you know, lots of people have talked about that. Italy sends thousands of troops to, to Spain. Germany sends lots of observers and mentors um, and, and, and members of the Condor Legion. The Russians are involved. Um, the Spanish Republic is forced to basically give the Republican goals um, to, to, to Russia in order to buy arms and everything else. So there's, you, there are a lot of parallels between what happens in the Spanish Civil War, especially at the, at, um, at the beginning, and, and what we see in Ukraine today. So it's, it's a fascinating it's a, fac- a fascinating uh, war, and it ends with the Republican army uh, being defeated and having to cross over into 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 France, and some of them 
also then end up in North Africa as well. And and, yeah. the, and, and then what happens is is that, that Spain is taken over by Franco fully, and he does accept that he's probably not going to be able to enter the Second World War. And there's lots of you know there's lots of other things going on. You know, um, Churchill uh, is, is um, ensures that Franco's entourage is paid off in order for them to uh, convince Franco it's a bad idea. There's a lot of influences on Franco, and obviously then Franco then becomes a friend of NATO in the in the for, in the late forties after the war. So so you know that that gives you a, a bit of a a quick guide through the Spanish. Yeah, yeah. Just to return to something you touched on a little bit earlier. Um, so following the defeat of the Republican forces and they having to um, basically evacuate yeah. into France, how do how do we go from there to? Spanish soldiers fighting in the British army? How do they actually get from France and from internment, as you said, to the British army in Britain and North Africa? and elsewhere? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a very convoluted and uh, complicated path. And mm. again, this is another thing that people just don't know much about. And it, I do find it rather annoying that uh, I think the, 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 the Spanish especially, they felt very let down, let, let down by the uh, um, mm. and, and, and you know, not only did they cross into France and think they were going to be okay, they were immediately interned, you know, and separated from their families. You know, that's a huge thing. That's a huge thing. And by the time we're getting into um, the spring and summer of 1939, because the Spanish Civil War is over end of March, so by by the summer of 1939, and war is looming, the French realise that they're going to need uh, a lot of extra labour to defend their country. So what have they got? They've got a couple of hundred thousand Spaniards interned in camps. So they give them options. The, the Spaniards are allowed to uh, become part of a labour force working working in uh, industry and in agriculture to free up uh, French to, to fight in the armed forces. Or they can join these labour battalions that are part of the French army, these, mm. uh, these compagnies de travailleurs étrangères. Or, obviously, uh, they can go back to Spain. And, of course, a lot of those people <laughs> don't want to go back to Spain, yeah. are they? And this is, this, is, this is another thing. You know, Franco was implicit in sending lists of people. And by the time we get to Vichy, France, in, in, the, in the summer and autumn of 1940, of course, we get to this point where actually some of these people are handed over back to Spain. Uh, and they are put in in, uh, in concentration camps back in Spain. And some of them are even shot, um, you know, uh, um, assassinated or or just or just uh, you know executed. And the other two options that the the Spaniards have is to join the uh, French army fully. They can either join the French Foreign Legion pour la durée de la guerre, or they can join uh, these um, marching battalions, these marching regiments, uh, volunteer uh, foreign re- um, marching battalions, these uh, régiments volontaires de, uh, de uh, régiments de marche de volontaires étrangères, RMVEs as they call. So you, yeah. so by the time by the time you get to the beginning of the Second World War, and you know by by the uh, I mean, let's say let's say actually by the time we get to the invasion of France in June May June nineteen forty. We're talking about fifty-five to sixty thousand Spaniards, either in labour companies, in the French Foreign Legion, or in these volunteer battalions. So that's quite a lot of people. Now, sadly, yeah. quite a lot of those don't do much more than what happens at the beginning of the war, and they don't necessarily get to fight in the same way 
um, you know, and a lot of those managed to escape and and end up joining the uh, you know uh, the Maquis and the French, uh, are heavily involved in the French Resistance. That's another thing that really winds me up is the fact that a lot of people don't realise there were literally tens of thousands of Spaniards involved in the Maquis and in the Resistance. In fact, some people would say that the the Spaniards were the original. You know, they were the original resistance because they were they was they literally only just stopped fighting. You know, they were interned. They managed to get out and about and hide, go into the hills and everything else. And actually, they were people who were already kind of ready to fight. And as mm. soon as as soon as um, the the French capitulation happened, they were already getting involved and stuff like that. Um, so so you know that that happens there. And, but how do they get into to the British Army? Well, you've got two two waves at, at, at the beginning. You've got a wave of Spaniards who end up via the French in Britain in the summer of 1940. They're Spaniards who uh, have joined the French Foreign Legion. They've gone to Africa, done their training. They've become part of the 13e uh, demi-brigade de la Légion étrangère. They're sent to Norway. And uh, they fight in Norway, do really well. And that's where the French realise that actually the the Spanish really know what they're doing, you know, and they're quite good soldiers. They're very heavily politicized. Don't forget, a lot of these Spaniards are anarchists. They're communists. They're, you know, they're regarded as reds by the by their system. But actually, the reality is, is that they they can fight. They know what the Blitzkrieg is about because they've come across it already in the Spanish Civil War. Yeah, they've been on the receiving end of it, haven't they? Totally, totally. Yeah, from from a very early point in the Spanish Civil War. I mean, from probably from the end of 1936 onwards. You know, we're talking, you know, we're talking carpet bombing. We're talking heavy use of artillery. We're talking horrendous um, atrocities. Um, it, it's, you know, it's something that they, you know, they deal, they deal with uh, on a yeah. day-to-day basis. So, so they end up um, returning to the UK. Well, they end up going back to France, uh, these, uh, these uh, legionnaires from Norway. But they're, they're only in France for a little while because France is capitulating in, in June. And they end up in Britain. And they, um, they are all the French Foreign Legion and a lot of the other French troops are sent to Stretton Park, Trenton Park, sorry, near, um, near Stoke, um, Stafford Way. Yeah, it's just down the road from Kyle, in fact. Mm. They, they get a visit, they get a visit from, um, because by the time, by the time they're in the UK, in, we're talking around the 20th of June, they know that the French are going to capitulate. By the time they get to Trenton Park, they know they've got to make a choice. And the choice they make is they don't want to be with the French anymore because they want to keep on fighting. And also they don't want to join the Free French because they've had a bad experience already. So they, yeah. 300 of them, do a sit-down protest when de Gaulle goes and visits. On the, I think it's the 28th of June. And I like them already. Uh, and, and basically they, they say, stuff you, we don't want to know you anymore. Um, and when they're doing the present arms, they all sit down, lay their weapons down, and they get arrested and get sent to Stafford Prison. And um, there's, um, it's very well documented in uh, Hansard uh, about trying to free them. And, and in a nutshell, uh, they then get told, oh, well, actually, you're going to go back to Africa. So they then get put on the train uh, with the rest of the French Foreign Legionnaires. They get given their kit back and they arrive at Avonmouth um, near Bristol and are about to be put on a train, uh, on, a, on, a, on a boat from the train, sorry. And there's a standoff at the station and the uh, French say, okay, what do we need to do? They get in touch with the authorities in London and the authorities in London, um, basically uh, the French authorities in London, who are now Vichy, basically, 
um, say, uh, okay, can you shoot one out of every three, please? Um, but encourager les autres, you know, and, uh, and the Brits step in and go, no, no, we're not going to let that happen. Uh, and the Brits, and the Brits then take on these 300 Spaniards and these 300 Spaniards end up setting up the first company, uh, made up fully of Spaniards called the number one Spanish company. And they serve in the Pioneer Corps. So they're the first gang. And then the second gang are a group of other, uh, Spaniards who are either in French Foreign Legion or in a volunteer marching battalions. And they, they're, they're soldiers who end up in Syria, in the Middle East, in the Levant. And they, they're in exactly the same situation. One of these volunteer marching battalions is supposed to be put into another regiment because the French run a regimental and battalion system. So three or four battalions in a regiment. They're supposed to be in the 23rd volunteer marching battalion uh, regiment, but that gets kind of slightly reduced and that extra battalion then gets sent to the Middle East. And it's, uh, and basically it's attached and becomes part of the French Foreign Legion brigade out there division. And, uh, that, that, that battalion pretty much made up wholly of Spaniards, over, over 500 Spaniards in that area there. Again, they're exactly in the same situation. It gets to the armistice. What are we going to do? The French initially say, "Oh, yeah, we're going to we're going to join the British. Get your stuff ready," and then they end up that ends up not happening. So some of the Spaniards decide to desert. There's a group of fifty uh, odd of them who steal a truck, a couple of trucks, and drive across the border. And then there's a couple of small groups that end up going over across the desert by foot. Those small groups are probably members of the legion properly, and those fifty odd are uh, fifty odd of the ones who are in this volunteer marching battalion, and they end yeah. up joining the Middle East uh, British forces in the Middle East. They go to Jenifa. They they're put on the books of the Queen's Royal Regiment, West Surrey, but not not much later after they arrive, um, the Middle East commanders being set up, so they all get transferred and put into the first Middle East commando, 50 Middle East commando, which is, which has George Young as its um, founding commanding officer. Uh, He interviews them all, takes them all on and they go through commando training. So that's the second, that's the second gang. And then, then then the rest really end up joining the British army, uh, mostly from North Africa through, through torch. Uh, Torch happens and you have this huge exodus of Spaniards I've managed to track down just under a thousand Spaniards. I've got regimental numbers and names for just under a thousand Spaniards. But in fact, I reckon there's about a thousand two hundred, a thousand three hundred, mostly because some of these Spaniards, they're, they're just not on the, they're just not on the, on the lists, but they were signed on. And, you know, upon further investigation, yeah. you will find them. It is said um, by one source uh, who who I am writing on quite a lot, a guy called Agustin Raventura, who was from Barcelona or brought up in Barcelona, anarchist, uh, ended up crossing over into Spain and then was involved a little bit in the uh, French resistance and then got sent to an, uh, a concentration camp, basically called Jelfa in Algeria, horrendous, horrendous camp uh, inland quite heavily inland in Algeria. He he quotes 792 Spaniards joining the British army en masse in uh, early 1943 after, yeah. after Torch. So that's your two that's your two kind of exoduses. And what you, you what you do get though is you, you do get people who initially join they all join the 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 
the Pioneer Corps, apart from the ones who joined the commando straight away, the ones who joined the Pioneer Corps, and a lot of them then transfer over to other parts of the army. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Okay, so once they're actually in the British Army, how do they sit within within basically their, their own country, the laws of Spain... Because if we take, for example, the French have the free French, they have the French army in exile. The Poles have Polish army in exile and distinctly Polish units within the British army. But their armies in exile, they're conquered countries. So, the, you know, they're, it's understandable that we would take in refugees from there. Spain declares neutral, even if the Spanish aren't neutral. Yeah. So does that make the... You know, Spain isn't on our side. So does that make these people traitors, resistance cells, or are they actually legitimately considered to be, you know, an army in their own right? They're not, they're not an army in their own right because it became very disparate. The, the, the biggest frustration that happened quite a lot during the Second World War was that a lot of the Spaniards who joined the British Army, and we're talking just over a thousand, like I say, they didn't have any officers. They only had NCOs. So they had to have, and they wanted to have, British officers commanding them. And of course, that caused a whole raft of problems with the language and the training and everything else. Now, with small groups of these Spaniards, it worked very well. Some of these Spaniards joined special forces, SAS, commandos and all that, and that worked really well. But the bigger groups, the company-sized groups, they had to be commanded by British officers. And in some cases, you know, a British sergeant major and a British, some of the British senior non-commissioned officers, senior NCOs. So what ended up happening was, was that they were not definitely not uh, an army in exile. They were, let's say, more individuals or groups that joined the British army. But as far as Spain was concerned, don't forget, Spain is uh, uh, um, under Franco. They are absolute traitors. They are the enemy and it goes the other way. These men, as a as an extension of Franco's uh, Spain, they saw the Franco regime and they saw Germany and Italy, who had fought in the Spanish Civil War, as as a as an enemy as well. So mm-hmm. initially, those Spaniards who were who joined the British Army in 1940, it's very tricky. It's extremely tricky. Now in the Middle East, they can get away with it. You know, they're far up, further away. It's not so European and everything else. And that doesn't stop them from being worried about being 
taken and captured or, or yeah. handed over to the German authorities because, you know, the Germans were given lists all the time. But in the UK, for the Spanish number one company, there was a lot of caution. There was a hell of a lot of caution to start with. It was very difficult. You know, the, the chaos of all these different nations uh, arriving in the UK after Dunkirk, you can imagine, it was absolute pandemonium. And I, I've got stories of Spaniards who... That, that some of the Spaniards who worked in these uh, compagnies de travailleurs étrangères, they managed to get across the channel. But because they were part of the French, they were sent back. And then mm. to make it even worse, some of them were mixed up with other nationalities and they, they ended up being put in prison by mistake and then sent back to France. And of course, some of them ended up back in France and then were sent to internment camps. Sadly... Over 5,000 Spaniards ended up in constant German concentration camps, German uh, Nazi concentration camps. Mauthausen is, is the most famous. It's a horrendous story, Mauthausen. Mm. You know, so uh, as far as Franco was concerned, these men, these people, because it wasn't just men, it was whole families who left Spain, this huge exodus, you know, huge exodus, they were traitors. Now, at the beginning of the Second World War, when these Spaniards, these initial groups, join, it, you know, there were, there were a lot of issues and they couldn't join. They wanted to fight. They wanted to be part of fighting units. And just like some of the, the Jewish groups and some of the Eastern European groups that joined, they weren't allowed to initially. They were in turn, you know, David Badil, David Badil's got a really good story about, you know, I think it was his grandfather uh, who was put in the... Isle of White, isn't it? Or the Isle of Man, I can't remember. Uh, and, you know, uh, and they, they were all, and then, you know, as the war progressed, uh, okay, yeah, you're not a threat. We, we got, we'll take you on. You can sign on. And this happened to the Spaniards as well. But what's quite interesting, though, is, is that, for example, the Spaniards who were in the number one Spanish company, they joined the Pioneer Corps and they were actually allowed to use weapons because a lot of the Pioneer Corps in those days weren't. They were allowed to use weapons because they were all trained anyway. They were all being French foreign legionnaires. But actually, it was realized that there was a threat, an immediate threat to Gibraltar. And there was a requirement for Spanish speakers to be involved in operations to uh, work behind German lines should the Germans invade this, the, the Iberian Peninsula. And by that stage, by, by the autumn of 1940, we're talking SOEs already being established. And suddenly, 140 odd of these Spaniards who are in the number one Spanish company, they're taken on to do training with the SOE to potentially fight behind enemy lines. You know, and again, this is another thing, you know, this is all stuff that's only come out in the last 10 years or so. You know, who, who, would, who, who would ever know that there had been 140 Spaniards trained by the SOE who were going to fight behind enemy lines? Now, a lot of them, sadly, weren't used because the yeah. Peninsula was never invaded. But quite a few of them ended up in being involved in SOE operations. You know, for example, there's, uh, there's a guy called Esteban Molina. Esteban Molina, his son, um, uh, Alfred Molina, famous actor, Hollywood yeah. actor. You know, he ended up being uh, involved in stuff behind enemy lines uh, uh, around D-Day. You know, so, so actually... They are, they are there, and there's these, these things. So, you know, that, that does concern me sometimes that people don't realise how multinational these things were. But these Spaniards were certainly people who were regarded warily uh, by the British authorities, but were certainly regarded as traitors and enemy of the Spanish state by Franco. 
Having touched on things like um, being involved in SOE in the run-up to D-Day, um, where are we seeing these Spanish soldiers fighting? What sort of theatres of war were they being sent to? So um, something that in general, clo- yeah, something that's very close to your heart, obviously. Middle East commandos—they mm-hmm. being involved in quite a lot of things in the Middle East. Um, I, I, I have managed to find out that there are potentially some Spaniards who are involved in Somalia and Eritrea now with 52 commando. The, the, there were 63 Spaniards who were signed on and became members of 50 Middle East commando that in uh, March 1941 became uh, part of lay force. It was D Battalion lay force, 52 uh, Middle East commando and 50 Middle East commando were merged into D Battalion. And those two those two uh, elements were sent to um, uh, Crete, uh, and they 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 were part of the the evacuation. And the uh, the Spaniards there uh, were part of the uh, lay force element that was the 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 rear guard, the fighting rear guard in the in the withdrawal of Cree force, etc., mm-hmm. uh, from Suda Bay down to Sfakia, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stories involved there, you know, fighting with the Maoris, fighting with the New Zealanders, fighting with the Australians. Um, the, 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 the company that the uh, Spaniards are involved with were the rear guard of the rear guard. Uh, it's quite a complicated story, as you know, the whole withdrawal down to Svakia, Carl. So you, you, you'll, you'll, you'll bear with me on this. Yeah. But actually, the reality is, is that I still don't fully know what the situation is with what elements of the fight the Spaniards were involved with. But what we do know is that by the time uh, uh, Crete, Crete capitulates, the British forces of the, the Allied forces in um, in Crete capitulate, uh, about, third, I think we're talking 37, 38 Spaniards are taken prisoner. So these Spaniards end up, a lot of them end up in prisoner war camps in Germany, Poland, Eastern Europe. Uh, and then they are handed back to the British forces uh, or liberated at the end of the war and end up in UK. And, and they, they are, uh, um, end up being repatriated to the UK. And they're actually regarded as Gibraltarians. The med officer of the battalion, tells, who'd been in the Spanish Civil War, he was a, he was, I think he was a New Zealander, who was, it, who was the um, uh, MO um, of, the, uh, of, uh, of the battalion, he says, well, you know, just tell everybody you're Gibraltarian, part of the British Army, and you'll get away with it. And they do. And there are some pretty impressive stories of escape attempts and helping dig tunnels and stuff like that, which is quite cool. Uh, and then uh, uh, there's the first kind of, the, the, well, the second crossing over of the old enemies. You know, there's one one guy called uh, um, Joaquin Fajardo. He's taken prisoner. And he, um, one day he's working by a railway line and he sees the, uh, he sees the Spaniards in a train wearing German uniforms and they're part of the blue division, you know. Um, another story in itself, this whole business of was Spain neutral? Well, it was, but they still sent several thousand, Franco sent several thousand volunteers yeah. to fight on the front with the Germans. So Fajardo, uh, Joaquin Fajardo, he, he, he sees these people and he starts throwing stones at the train and all that. And that's, that's quite an interesting little story there of the two sides, old enemies meeting again. Um, so yeah, so, so, so they, they fight in, uh, in Crete um, and everything else. 
And you've got and you've got then uh, the guys who are left, uh, who are in 50 Middle East Commando, who are left. Um, a lot of them end up uh, returning back to the Middle East Commando that is then re-kind of organised. There's Operation Flipper, uh, the operation that's uh, to, to try and track down and, and either assassinate or, um, or capture Rommel. It's I'm fairly sure that elements of that operation had Spaniards in it, uh, the ones that never landed. Um, we've got eyewitness accounts of that, whether or not they're true. We, it's just trying to marry up those things. The records aren't great. Some of these Spaniards end up um, uh, end up um, being involved in some of the SOE uh, operations, for sure, uh, where the Middle East commandos um, uh, are, are kind of taken by the SOE and used in other operations, the Balkans, for example, and Greece and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you've got a few of them who end up, uh, there's two individuals, um, Francisco Geronimo and uh, Justo Valerdi, who end up, who are both, who have been in, the French Foreign Legion, and then have joined the Philippine Middle East Commandos, they end up joining 2nd SAS. And Justo Valerdi's killed uh, literally only a couple of weeks before the end of the war in Italy on an SAS operation. So so that's that. And then in North Africa, of course, these uh, pioneer companies are used a lot for construction, guarding, a lot of work to support the forces. Quite a few of the Spaniards end up in Sicily, and some of them end up in Italy as well. You've also got um, some elements that um, then volunteer for uh, uh, other duties and transfer. And quite a lot of these, this is where the larger element of those who join the SAS come from as well. I've tracked down 10 members of the SAS who were Spanish. All, um, all of them were in second SAS. There were Spaniards who were in third and fourth SAS, which is the French SAS. Yeah. And they were Spaniards who fought in the Free French and then transferred across um, to the SAS. So these Spaniards who are in SAS, they're involved heavily in all of the operations the SAS are involved with, in, uh, especially after D-Day uh, in 1944. They go through all their training before D-Day. The, the SAS, the Special Force, uh, the, the Special Air Service Brigade is, is um, kind of organised for for operations um, after D-Day and they get involved in all of these operations in France. They get op- they get involved in operations on the on in the Vosges, you know, Leuton, Pistol, all these other operations. Archway, which is the quite a big one, it's the one where the SAS basically cross into Germany from Holland by Jeep and do this huge kind of sweeping operation in the latter stages of of the war. Uh, and then, of course, there's the famous operation that three Spaniards are involved with, which is um, which is uh, Operation Tombola, uh, Roy Ferrand's opera- uh, operation in northern northern Italy, and that's where Valerdi is killed. Rafael Ramos um, gets the military medal, absolute hero, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, they're all heroes, but I mean, he he is particularly high on the list. An incredible guy. I mean, you know, he ends up being involved in three consecutive operations in Italy. There's an operation, Gallia, I think it's called, where the SAS go behind the enemy lines in northern Italy. And they're fighting their way there, but they lose comms. So Roy Ferran decides he's going to send a small patrol to go and meet up with them to re-establish comms. And Rafael Ramos is part of that. And the, the only way they can do it is to, because the weather's so bad, they have to walk in the winter through the enemy lines to meet up with this operation, which they end up doing. 
And so, so that operation is called Break Two. Then they end up meeting up with Gallia, and they're on the last few days of Operation Gallia. And then when Gallia returns back behind um, their own lines, um, they're told, "No, no, you're not going back. You're going to join Tombola." So then they have to walk from Gallia to Tombola, and then the meet up with Tombolo. In that, that operation is incredible. It's an incredible operation, Tombolo. You know, it's quite famous for so many things. Um, it has a, a piper who is uh, fl- uh, given parachute training and is parachuted in, uh, especially, and plays Highland Laddie as they carry out the first major attack on <laughs> the uh, 50, 51st German Corps, Mountain Corps. And, uh, and that's really so that they can, um, they can uh, ensure that uh, there aren't any reprisals against the local population. And Rafael Ramos, he's walked several miles over several weeks in the middle of the winter, gone through enemy lines, and then he is heavily involved. He's one of the key people who goes in and, and carries out these attacks. He personally dispatches six Germans. He takes an injured officer out of the building. He goes back into the building again. And then with another trooper, he escapes and evades for two days with this injured officer on a ladder. And then he joins up the SAS again. And they carry on fighting. And sadly, Justo Valerdi is killed in one of the jeeps, you know, the famous SAS army jeeps, and only a few weeks before um, the war. And there, there are so many other, other stories like that that these Spaniards were involved with. There were also Spaniards who were involved with operations in Italy. Some of those Spaniards who were actually in, um, in the 15th Middle East Commando decided to join, rejoin Queen's, Queen's Royal Regiment in West Surrey, and they were involved in the Salerno landings. They were involved in operations on the way to, uh, to Casino. Then the battalion, the 1st, 5th battalion, got transferred to, to uh, Normandy and they were on the D-Day landings and then they fought all the way to Hamburg. You know, So these, 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 these were men who wanted to keep on fighting all the way, all the way, all the way. So there's lots, there's lots and there's plenty of other operations mm, I, you know, yeah. I could go on. Yeah, and we will because that's what the book's about. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. yeah so we've seen them... Uh, being part of commando units and being very well in with the SAS. So how are these Spanish soldiers being viewed by the British, but both by other British soldiers and by the British government and British people? Yeah, I think during the war, during the war, it was it was different, wasn't it? Because I think, mm. you know, it was needs must had to muck in, you know, uh, especially things like second SAS that were very multinational. You know, you had to be slightly different, slightly quirky, and that's why you were in the SAS and good at what you did, you know, which was killing people. Um, and the Spaniards wanted to do that. You know, they really did. And it didn't matter that, you know, they all, they were, a lot of them were anarchists, you know, um, and therefore in politically, um, I don't think the politics came into it, especially in the second half of the war. It was more, it was more after the war when they get, when they get to settle down in the UK and they, and they do get to settle down. And this is where, you know, there are a couple of individuals that make a difference for the Spaniards. Um, you know, Agustin Braventura, you know, he's, he's this guy I think I mentioned to you earlier. His company ends up getting sent to the UK from North Africa. And he ends up being the spokesperson for the, the, the Spaniards who were serving because a lot of them were, especially the ones who were in, well, all the ones who were in North Africa were told, you're going to be, dis- you're going to be demobbed, but you're going to be sent back to Africa because that's where you signed up. And that was normal. Right. But that was normal. Uh, so, 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 of course, they've got nowhere to go. You know, most of them have been in internment camps or have been in concentration camps in North Africa. 
their families are back in back in Spain. They're never going to be able to go back to Spain because they're being turned or, or even executed. So, so you know, there's a big push to get them to stay. And again, Hansard, political questions. Labour government comes in at the end of the Second World War. A lot more, um, a lot more on sides. So a lot of these Spanish are allowed to stay, or they're given the option to stay if they want. So they get to stay, and of course it's not easy for them. You know, they've got to assimilate to British life. A lot of them marry other uh, Brits. A lot of them marry other Spaniards. You know, you know, and and they have to find work, and it's not easy for them. Quite heavily politicized. A lot of them are very heavily involved in the unions. You know, Agustín Raventura, he ends up he ends up um, being one of the founding members of the Spanish ex servicemen's Association. They realise they have to have some sort of uh, uh, ex servicemen's Association to be able to uh, to be able to stick up for themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's quite interesting as well because uh, you've got a lot of Spaniards who end up in Britain at the end of the Spanish Civil War, but they don't meet these Spaniards who've been in the British Armed Forces until the end of the Second World War. And you get these two groups of people coming together, and it's and I I I, I still need to do a bit more research on that. There's this this meeting of minds, but at the same time, a little bit different because these Spaniards have been in British Army uniform, and they're proud. They're really proud of being in the British Army. They they love it. They think it's something really important for them. They'd rather be in the British Army than other 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 armies. That's for sure. Yeah. But actually, have they managed to have they managed to uh, kind of. Uh, assimilate and that's a difficult one it takes them a long time they couldn't go back to spain so they had no choice so so that so there is that element there and and politically yeah very charged at the end of the war and you know franco's not going to be got rid of you know you've let us down you know what you're doing and then this continuing this fight in exile to try and get and try and explain about the spanish uh, situation and how franco the franco regime was being horrendous and it was suppressing everybody and you know and everything else and that's really that was a really important thing to them they they really wanted to do wanted to get and some of them didn't some of them had had enough of war they'd been wearing uniform for 10 years and they just wanted to settle down and start a family and and have their new and start a new life and some of them quite a lot of them did do that you know you've got great examples of them settling in some of the industrial areas you know birmingham yeah. Uh, Glasgow, London, you know, and, and not being part of that community, but a lot of them still wanted to continue this fight. And that, and that, that could be a good thing and a bad thing. And a lot of their children and their grandchildren are still quite, quite infused by this. You know, it's still part of their lives. That's how the Spanish are, are treated in Britain and how they fit in with Britain. I mean, come the end of the war, like fascism's de- defeated in Germany. Fascism's defeated in Italy. Yeah. But fascism isn't defeated in Spain. Yeah. As much as you can call Franco fascist, that is a whole separate debate. But for the purpose of tonight, yeah, yeah okay. is, you know, we're, we're going to go with that. But yeah, fascism in one form is still there in Spain and it's in charge. So how do these guys fare in post-war Spain? You know, do, do they ever go back there? Well, some of them were able to, but it took a long time. Most of them were able to keep contact via um, second or third hand means, you know, with their families. A lot of them, because they were so heavily politicised, they remained on these lists for a very long time and could never go back. Some of them were able to go back, but it wasn't until the 60s. um, A lot of them weren't able to do it until then. But the majority, you know, and I'm talking about the majority, 
did not go back to Spain until after Franco died in 1975. He died in November 1975. And, you know, a lot of them didn't go back to Spain, you know. And some of them uh, went back, but didn't really want to go back. You know, they went back and visited their families, but actually they didn't want to settle back in Spain. A lot of them did. A lot of them did. And a lot of them ended up dying in Spain, you know. Um, but, but a lot of them stayed in the UK, you know, and because they started that new life and everything else. And they knew... You can imagine you've left your country in 1939 and you probably won't go, you won't go back until after 1975. In some cases, a lot of them didn't go back until after the first lot of elections in the constitution, 1978, 1979. And some of them were really worried because in 1981, there was another attempted coup, you know, uh, 23rd of February, 1981. And that, you know, that, that had a huge effect on people. So some of them didn't even want to go back at all, you know. But, but, but yeah, I mean, um, politics moved on. Spain changed after Franco. And a lot of these Spaniards were able to go back uh, and, and, and kind of feel that their, uh, their story could be told. The issue has been that there's this huge legacy of um, kind of historical memory in Spain. And, and that's, it's huge. You know, the Spanish Civil War looms large all over Spain still today. You know, you've got Franco being entombed in his own tomb, the Valley of the Fall, and this huge kind of horrendous uh, kind of construction near Madrid, where he, and he was only you know he's, he was only disinterred you know until recently. Uh, and, and and now he's no longer there. You know, you know. Can you imagine something like that in another European country where we've fought, you know, an enemy, you know, Germany, you know, etc. Right. It just it just doesn't make sense. So Spain has not been able been able to properly deal with this 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 uh, this kind of horrendous story, part of its kind of history. Um, uh, and it's starting to, to 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 make amends, but it still left a huge scar. And the and these men, these men and their families, you know, were were hugely touched by it. And and for me, the, their the fact that they were able to continue their fights and show that they they were able to uh, be part of a, a fight against um, against fascism in the Second World War. It's something that needs to be told. It, it really does yeah. need to be told. These, you know, they, 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 people need to understand that, it, 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 you know, Britain stood alone. We know that's not true, you know, empire, etc., mm-hmm. etc. Et but then you've got everything else going on on the sides as well. And these people were part of it. They were part of it. They were in it. You know, these Spaniards, they got to drink, used to drinking tea and wearing tweed <laughs> and... Um, reading the newspaper, and, and some of them went back to Spain and took those habits with them, and of course that that went down, you know, rather strangely. So, so you know, it, it's it's really important that we that we that we kind of tell that story. That that story needs to be told because because it's part of the fabric, not just of those Spaniards, but it's also part of the fabric of our country, of Great Britain as well. You know, it, it's part of it's a small it's a small little chink, you know, it's a small little kind of um, element of what what has helped us as a nation you know move forward and fight uh in 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 world war ii and do the things that we did you know the the spaniards were able to lay a wreath in the cenotaph you know for their fallen comrades 
Spanish Exorcism Association. They were able to do things like that, and it, and, and that's that, that, that's 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 important to know. Well, thank you very much, Sean. Thank you because that has very much opened my eyes to to what I would say a people that you think of Spain as neutral country and somewhere you can escape to when you've got out of your prisoner of war camp, and but there's so so much more to it, and, and to find that they're in every facet of this war right up there amongst everyone else. I, I haven't even started to look at those who are, who are in the Royal Navy or the RAF. Yes, it's just the I'm Army. Really Army, yeah. Um, you know, so, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm probably not going to bother with that, but... Uh, <laughs> Army man, but, uh, but yeah. Well, thank you very, very much. Did you, have you enjoyed yourself? Oh, very much so. Have it's you, nice to have a good rest. Got it off your chest. Probably not. Not as sweary as I should have been, but there you go. But yeah, no, very much so. It's 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 a it's a big it's a big yeah. thing. I just hope I don't bore people too much. But there you, you go. can't, you can't. Our audience is military historians; so <laughs> they can put up with anything. <laughs> if you'd like to know more, then you can and should check out Sean's many appearances on podcasts and YouTube channels, including our perennial favourites, History Hack and World War Two TV. And we will put links to those into the show notes as well. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Sean underscore f underscore scullion uh, we'll post a link to that in the show notes as well and do look out for that book which uh, should be finished and possibly looking at published around about time of public release so we look forward to uh to seeing that once again sean thank you very much for bringing the finest iberian rage <laughs> thank you very much Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at History Rage or individually. I am at Paul Bavel. And I'm at Kyle G History. And if you're enjoying History Rage, then please consider joining the Angry Mob on Patreon. This really helps us meet the cost of podcasting. Your £5 per month will get you early episodes, entry into all of our prize draws, the invite to put questions to future guests, and of course, the coveted History Rage mug. And you can subscribe at patreon.com forward slash History Rage. But until next week, stay angry. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.